Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. I met today's guest in Cabo at the MMT conference. We went paddle boarding together, and over a couple of days, I heard his amazing story. He's the president and CEO of Danby Products. He's invested in 150 companies and wrote the book Zero to Two Billion, following his TED Talk of the same name. Jim Estelle, I am pumped to have you on the show today. Well, thanks Thanks for having having me, Jesse. Looking Looking forward to it. Yeah, it was such a pleasure meeting you because of the humility that you showed. I mean, what you've done as far in business, and as you saw some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world, gave you a standing ovation when you were the surprise speaker because of your story. And, you know, I think sharing a little bit about your story and growth, because you have a different uh, mindset on growth. You say growth is inspirational, and it's good to show growth. And I'd love to hear just a little bit your growth story so the listeners can know, you know, where you are, where you've come from. Sure. I mean, I I started my first company from the trunk of my car. I was an engineer, needed a computer, got a better deal if I bought two of them. So I bought two and I sold one. Then someone else wanted a computer. So I bought another two. And then someone wanted a printer. Someone wanted some software. And so I was just basically buying and selling computer hardware, software peripherals. And uh, eventually I grew that company to two billion in sales, which is how I got the title of the book, Zero to Two Billion, which is largely a marketing book. And I'd love to say everything's linear, but nothing's linear, right? You always have your uh, setbacks, your challenges. But if you speak about growth, growth is inspirational for staff. And it becomes sort of like a upward cycle, right? The, you grow and then that inspires people. So they grow some more and then you grow some more. And it gives opportunity for people. People don't really want to work in a company that's going to grow by 2% a year or not have no growth, because then how does a company even stay in business? Because some of your costs are going to go up anyways. The only way to make money is to let lay people off or whatever. That's not what I like doing. You know, it's fascinating. We had Paul Jarvis on the show earlier, and he talked about better over bigger. And if you focus on better, things take care of themselves. And, you know, you just said, oh, we went zero to two billion, like it's no big deal. You know, people going from zero to 200,000 or to two million, it's such a challenge. You know, I'd love to hear just a little bit of how you did that. And I'm sure you talked about where your customers were going because you just mentioned briefly, then they wanted a printer. So then we got them a printer and then they wanted this. So we got them this. Obviously, I want to get into the marketing a little bit, but just share a little bit of how you were able to do this. Yeah, for starters, I'm a 25-year overnight success. So it took me 25 years to do this. And people don't understand that. My first year sales were $450,000. And then the second year was a million and seventy nine thousand. Then two point six million. Then four point six million. Then five point six million. That was a slow growth year. And then uh, ten million. And then twenty one million. And then thirty one million. And then forty million. Then thirty nine million. Then forty one million. So that was three years where I had no growth. I went down actually even one year. And that taught me. Because I was always growing before that, that taught me how much growth is important. And then I did 68 million and then I did 104 million. And so it took me like a decade to get to 100 million in sales. And in my final years in business, last five years in business, I never grew by less than 100 million a year. And I would often grow by 100 million dollars in a quarter. But when you're a billion dollar company, to grow by 100 million isn't a big deal. And so, anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's the story. So what happened? Those, so again, those three years, and you know, I'm just internally talking here, you know, the bananas, you know, we reached a point where we can't sell any more tickets. So we've yes. fortunate sold out every game. And so now when we're asking this question, I believe growth is inspirational because if your people can't feel like they can grow, 
then what are they doing? They want to feel like they're growing personally. They want to grow you know, in their life and their leadership abilities. So in those three years that you didn't grow, what did you change? And what were the adjustments? And even what happened? Did you lose team members? I want to hear kind of about those years, because that's what we're going through. And I think a lot of companies go through it where they don't grow for a little bit. Right. So you're in a really tough time, unfortunately, in business. Those were tough years. So the whole economy was relatively tough. So it wasn't like we were the only ones who were suffering. So I didn't lose as many staff as I might have because there were other companies who were not hiring or they were laying off and whatnot. So I was actually able to pick some very good talent who got laid off from other uh, companies. But the way I choose to grow tends to be you've got what you do. You do the Savannah Bananas. But then you can think, oh, wait a minute. It's Sunday morning and the field's not used. We're going to do, I have no idea, (laughs) something else on the field that uses the field and is another revenue source. And it could be related to baseball, but it could be equally related to marching bands. It could be related to football for all. I don't know enough. But you can basically morph and use, uh, like one of the principles of, of successful business is competitive advantage. And so what are the things you can do uniquely that they can't do as easily? And I know you've done a lot of that with Savannah Bananas, things <laughs> like your logo wear, and your mugs and your hats, your T-shirts, all that kind of stuff. You created this brand, and that's great because you've got a brand. What else can you use that brand for would be other ways of extending. So it could be simply that you, it has nothing to do with the ballpark. It has to do with your internet business yeah. or whatever, right? Well, I think, uh, I, I think one thing that we both agree on so much is, is always experiment. And I, I've heard a lot about, you know, fail oh, yeah. fast. You know, you say fail often, fail fast, and fail cheap. And you know, right. we're constantly experimenting. And I think getting over that fear that some things may not work well and it taking these small bets. And, you know, we've done lots to give an example. We've done haunted stadiums and ballpark beer fests and all those. And we were, those didn't really work as well with our brand. But we keep taking those that don't hurt. I would love to know some of the things that you tried. It was like, all right, why do you believe so much in these experimentations? I tend to uh, just fail off and fail fast, fail cheap. You should invest some of your profit into trying new things. It's the way you learn what might work. <laughs> so what are some things that you've done? Oh, I have done so many things. And the beauty of the failures is you, people don't remember you for the failures. They don't care about the failures. And so there's no problem that you have some failures. So some of my uh, examples, I went out in the warehouse. Uh, Danby makes appliances. We ship product in from China many times. So I went out there and we had containers coming in with uh, maybe a foot of space in the top. And I said, wait a minute, we paid for shipping this stuff. So I went out and said, well, what are some products that we could put there? So we introduced a line of uh, electric kettles and choppers and blenders, which we don't make. We just put our label on and use it to fill the space because we had competitive advantage. That was a fail off, fail fast, fail cheap. I learned that, that, that we're not great in that market. We, it, it's not a failure, actually. It's, a, it's not a raving success. We're not making tons of money. We're not losing money. But it's one example of creativity. Well, the other thing we did with that is we brought them in in brown boxes because most of the competitors bring them in nice color boxes for the stores. And that means when they ship them on the Internet, they have to put them in a brown box. So uh, we could save 50 cents because we didn't do a color box. And then you save a dollar because you don't do an over box and the labor is another 50 cents and you're saving the shipping cost. So all those little things add up to a few dollars per product. And these are not expensive products. So you can be you know, 10% less cost 
on that. But of course, what I learned is the white goods dealers don't sell tabletop appliances because I mostly sell to you know places that sell freezers and wine coolers and stuff like that. You know, it's funny, Jim, I get asked that question all the time, you know, tell me about your failures. And I have so much difficulty answering that because we don't see them as failures. Everything right. is discovery. And it's like, hey, we just move on. You try it, you move on. And I think like to have a culture of innovation, you're just, hey, that's just part of business. We try, we try, we move on. And we don't even focus on it. We're on to the next thing. That's right. What you mentioned earlier, I'd invested in 150 technology businesses. I've exited from 25 of them. So 25 of them I were successful. I have 100 failures. I can't even remember the names of all the failures because there are names you don't recognize. But when I say, oh, yeah, by the way, one of those companies I did was BlackBerry. You say, wow, BlackBerry. Great. I'm famous because I did BlackBerry. But at the same time I did BlackBerry, I did 100 other companies that you never heard of because they went under. And that's the experimentation you need to do in your business, in your ballpark. And you find out, gee, maybe uh, Chiquita bananas are going to sell better than Savannah bananas in the grocery store. Maybe you shouldn't be in the banana business. <laughs> no, 100%. You mentioned BlackBerry, which is really interesting. Obviously, you were on the board of BlackBerry. And obviously, people say that, oh, really well-named success. But you know, BlackBerry, in an essence, also would be defined as failure because they missed of where the market was going. Yes, they did. So I jokingly say I was on the board before they went public and I left the board in 2010 and now look what happened to them. <laughs> so you weren't able to see kind of they were just they had this mindset of this is who we are and they didn't go where their customers were going. They said this is who we are and they didn't adapt. I mean, did you see any of that happening or what they were doing? Of course you see it, but hindsight is always 2020. So you can't really fault people for being hindsight 2020. At the time Apple came out, BlackBerry was a, a business device, yeah. and the whole thinking around everybody was, well, people aren't going to spend $500 on a toy, a home device. Like, uh, what, what's music or movies have to do with uh, business? I'm a business guy. I want business communication. I want the best business thing. So that was a huge, huge miss. And the same thing is true when you go apps. And what's really fascinating is that Apple did apps and the App Store and all of this. At the same time, their computers were generally very closed. Like if I had a, um, an Intel processor in an HP computer, you know, they allowed everyone else to run their software, where Apple was a very closed system on their PC. So it's interesting how they did closed system on their PCs, open system on their phones. And then where companies also go off the rails is when they start, you're chasing and copying. If all you try to do is copy and so you say, oh, wow, the hockey team locally did this. Oh, well, we're going to do exactly what the hockey team did. I guarantee you that's going to fail for you because you never win when you're chasing someone. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, innovation is everything. I love talking about more than anything, especially now. You got to disrupt yourself some. You got to do things that are differently. And I think you've developed a marketing approach that has really thought, hey, this isn't the typical marketing approach and always touching your customers and finding a way in the three second marketing rule. And I'm fascinated by some of the unique marketing things you're doing because that's what we try to do every day. We're not going after baseball fans. We're trying to be really unique, go after people that want to show and give them a show. So tell me some of the things uh, with this marketing concepts that you've developed. Well, one of my principles is I A-B test everything or, or A-B-C-D-E-F-G test everything. <laughs> so in your business, you could send a thousand flyers to home and then you could give out a thousand bananas in the mall. And then you could test, did people come in with the uh, flyers to get the discount or did they come in with the cards that had the bananas? And you find out, wow, when we give out bananas, we get more, uh, actually, you don't want more fans. Or you want more fans, you don't want more people in the seats. <laughs> so I will A-B test 
And on the internet, that goes right down to very fine stuff. So we can say, like one of our, our uh, Danby products is a um, parcel mailbox mm-hmm. for your front porch. Actually, that's a good example of innovation and thinking differently. So when I came into Danby Appliances, we make freezers, refrigerators, wine coolers, and we put our name on some microwaves and some uh, dishwashers and stuff like that. But we're largely an appliance company. We changed the way we think of ourselves to we're a company that makes big boxes. And what's a big box? Well, you're getting all these Amazon deliveries. You're seeing all the porch pirates. So we came up with a electronic, and I have a you know computer background. It's a parcel mailbox that the UPS driver or the FedEx driver puts the parcel in, and you get an email or text to say you've got a three-pound parcel arrived at 1046, and you can look on the IP camera and see who delivered it. And if the box is bigger than what will fit in the uh, in the top uh, part, then you can remotely open it or give them a one-time use code, and it's got a car alarm if someone tries to uh, jimmy it or or move it. So it's it's an electronic, but it, it's thinking differently of the way we uh, way we do things. So see, it's fascinating to me, Jim, because you know you're an appliance business, and similar, I think about Sears. You know, Sears was an appliance company right. that's really just gone away, and you're competing with some big other brands now. Obviously, you've created a huge brand. Like, how do you stand out? Obviously, you, that's an idea, but how do you make people say, "I want Danby"? Well, one thing we do is we try to figure out what is it the customers want. And we've learned that customers want reliable and dependable. So we try to make 10-year appliances. So I'm, I'm not proud. If I sell you a refrigerator that doesn't last for 10 years or a freezer that doesn't last for 10 years, yes. that means I have failed. And so when you put that in the whole thing, and then um, the other thing that uh, happens, especially around wine coolers, is uh, design. So you want to have essentially sexy design. But some products like a freezer, a freezer is a white box that freezes food. Our white box that freezes food is kind of the same as other people, white box that freezes food. What we need to do there is all about execution and the little things. Are there ways we can do things a little bit easier, faster, better than someone else? I use a closed loop system on uh, feedback. So we take every review that anyone does on the internet or anything anyone says on Twitter, and you try to figure out how can we make it so nobody else has that issue or, or it's all closed loop. Same thing as when you call customer service. And even if you're calling and saying, my freezer's not working, and it's because your power doesn't work, what do we, you know, how can we make it so that you don't call us and so that you know that you have to plug in your power or, or whatever? Everything's closed loop. Same thing when people say, oh, we got the product and it's dented. That means, do we have to make better packaging? Do we have to design the product better? So we have a stove made for us and we uh, we're finding that the feet were sometimes getting bent because the box would drop a little bit and the feet would bend. So we put a spring. It's not like not so springy that you could you know jump up and down on it, but it essentially means if you dropped it from six inches, it, the spring absorbs it. It doesn't break the leg and little tiny innovations. And I think for many of your listeners, that's what they need to do is a bunch of little tiny micro innovations. It's not about one big thing. It's all about a bunch of little things. So, Jim, what I'm hearing, it's, it's listening carefully to your customers and then just executing on that. It sounds like, you know, for us, we always look at these big innovations. But for you, it's just a systematic, hey, we're measuring everything. Is that really what's been really successful for you? We're measuring every single thing and we're executing on that. Absolutely. We measure every single thing. And the other thing is always challenge the status quo. So it doesn't matter what we're doing. Don't accept that that's the only way we're going to do it. How can we do it differently and thinking differently? I always think in terms of competitive advantage. What are the things we might be able to do a little easier, better, faster, 
cheaper than someone else and then um, execute on it. It's all about competitive advantage. I love it. I teased earlier. You have to you have to give the, the three second marketing rule and then how you believe in marketing and touching your customers every step of the way. Those two pieces. Well, we live in a Twitter personality. You've got three seconds. If you don't if you spend more than three seconds, nobody's going to listen to you. You cannot. I'm an engineer, but don't give someone an engineering white paper because they're not going to read it. You've got three seconds. That's it. And uh, so this is all, all copy. So this is in videos. This is anything like, hey, those first three seconds, hit them, hit them with something powerful. Exactly. Exactly. If I send you a video and I'm telling you, you're going to log off. If I don't get your attention in the first few seconds, I'm going to, uh, to do it. And videos, I, I love to have video. You send me a video. If it says even that it's five minutes, I'm going to probably, I'll watch it on the weekend. But what does that mean? Maybe I never get around to watching it, yes. right? You're better off to say it's two minutes. Oh, two minutes. I've got two minutes. That's no big deal, right? And as far as always touch the customers, whenever a customer, when we're in marketing, the expense is usually the distribution to the customer. So whenever you touch a customer, market to them is what I do. So when you buy one of our products, you've got a box. When you buy one of our products, we've got a, a brochure with all of our other products in it. When you register your warranty, we give you a few free months of warranty, and uh, then we just keep uh, marketing, but not in an obnoxious used car way. <laughs> I only sell people products that they want, but the parcel mailbox is a perfect example. You are interested in that because that's new, that's interesting, It's uh, and even other products which are more mundane. Oh, I didn't know that Danby had... Uh, uh, you know, a bar fridge or didn't have, uh, you know, whatever, right? So it's simple. It's the marketing when you touch your customers. It's basically everything you send out, whether it's a flyer, whether it's an email, it has just other options to buy. But yeah, my question is, we always, we don't believe people want to be sold. We believe, you know, they want to be served. And I guess it just comes down to the language because in everything you send, hey, we also have this, we also have this. I mean, we've been online. It's like, you may also like this, you know, and it seems like right. it happens so much. How do you do it in a way that actually uh, your customers feel like you're providing value? Well, there's different ways to create value. One way to create value is through interest. One, I know, and I don't know you real well, but I know you well enough, you're an interesting guy. You're wearing a, a yellow tuxedo. Like, this is kind of weird, and, but it's kind of interesting. So interest is one way you can do it. Information. That's why that parcel mailbox is so cool, because not everybody knows about it, and people like to know about the new latest uh, thing. You can do it with humor. So anything that's funny is also people like to like to smile. So there's different ways to uh, essentially get permission. And partly humor can be making fun of yourself. I actually did a presentation uh, to a, an audience. And I had my slides and uh, yeah, the uh, title was, you know, Danby Appliances, Boring Appliances Since 1947. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you go on and explain, you know, what, what you're doing to uh, not be boring appliances going forward. But people resonate with that because you really think appliances are kind of boring, right? It's just a... It's, it's appliance. It, but that, that's it, why like you're a different guest for me, Jim. And I think because of your wisdom, I'm impressed, but you're a different guest for me, but it's so fascinating. But like you just said, they're boring appliances. You know, potentially what people are saying about you. And we know baseball is boring to most people. So we got to do the exact opposite. So you poked fun of yourself and said, we're boring appliances. Then how did that presentation you say, hey, it's not that boring. You know, we're fun. We're unique. How do you get them excited? Well, here's the key. You actually, I'm telling you, you want a boring appliance. You do not want to worry that your okay. meat is thawing. It's a boring appliance that freezes your food. And you know that. And so in reality, I just sold you why you want a boring appliance. 
An interesting appliance would be one that goes on and off or one that doesn't work very well or one that – ours isn't, doesn't need to be interesting. But then, yes, we can add some features. Like when we get into the wine coolers, uh, it's um, boring, dot, 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 and sexy because, <laughs> you know, you want some uh, – and we also continue to add some, uh, some features. But in our, in our business, and I think in yours, pretty soon – everybody's doing the same features. Like we can't say that we're doing something so unique as everybody else. The other reason I say boring appliances is um, I was presenting at a conference that was held at JW Marriott uh, Resort in Palm Springs. And I said to, you know, to people I meet with, uh, oh yeah, Danby Appliances. Uh, you ever, are you familiar with Danby Appliances? They say uh, no. And I said, uh, well, did you look at the fridge in your room? We made that. But they don't look at the fridge. You're blind to... You're blind to it, right? Yes. How can I make it so that you're not so blind to my appliance without being so obnoxious that it's a great big huge Danby? Right. Well, it, it's smart though. I mean, boring can also mean if it's done right, consistent. And I think what you yes. want to be is we want to be consistent. We are there when you need us. We're not going to go down, and we're going to do a great job. And uh, you know, we try to be consistently fun. I mean, our mantra right. is fans first, entertain always. And so that's who we are. Because if you come to a baseball game and you're bored, you're like everyone else. You don't want to come back. So it's just being real on who you are. and Oh, totally. Yeah. And I am so impressed with some of your creativity. Like the banana nanas, like that's just genius because it's hilarious in a way and it's funny and it's fun and, and everything is great. And if you had the, you know, the bananas cheerleaders, it's like kind of ho-hum like everybody else has cheerleaders and, uh, yeah. you know. And that's who we are and know who we are. And I think that's what's great. And, and, you know, what here, myself, is just trying to learn from people that have gone to different levels. And I think that's what you've done your whole life is learn from other people that have done it. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to stay, we're going to have some fun, Jim. So I'm going to skip here. We're going to go right to this. All right, we're going to do our first game. All right, we're going to get you out of your box a little bit here. Okay. Out of the box, you probably, there's probably lots of opportunities to use that. You probably use that with some of your marketing, maybe. There's something there. I'm just thinking about that. Because everything comes in a box, right? Everything comes in a box. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, so what we do actually on the boxes is we actually study how people take appliances out of the boxes to try to make it a better experience. Mm. Because when you buy uh, – a freezer is a perfect example. It's kind of big, you know? Yes. So you just cut the straps and the box lifts off the top as opposed to – can you imagine if we had it where you have to you know, cut the top? How are you going to get a freezer out of a box? You can't get a freezer out of a box unless you're Hercules. And so make it so the box lifts off the appliance, not the appliance lifting out of the box. I'm just using that as an example. It's such a great example because, I mean, people send so many videos of them opening up Apple boxes. It's like an event. I'm opening up right. an Apple box. So, like, we thought about that. And, you know, with our boxes, we're bright yellow. They have a big stamp that says delivered fresh with the bananas on it. Then we have yellow tissue paper. Then we have a letter saying ridiculous about, you know, here's some special potassium for you. Then extra koozies, extra decals because it's part of the experience. When they open that up, that's part of the experience. And for you, the box, like, yeah, people hate opening boxes that they can't. I mean, no one gets excited about the box. They got to use this. They got to use a knife. They got to do. I mean, it's hard, but you make it easier, which is smart. All right. We're back online here. All right. So okay. our first game, Jim, it is truth and dare. Which okay. one would you like first? We'll go with truth. All right. Truth. So what is one thing that's been holding you back even today? I mean, as you've grown your business, you've learned so much over the years. What's something that still kind of holds you back a little bit? Time. Mm. For me, it's all about time. If you could sell me some time, I'll buy it. How's that? Okay, time. We're going to get into that because you have a time tracking system. So we're going to get into that after this dare. So that's a good segue. All right. So now you ready for your dare? I, I am. Yes. All right. Don't worry. A lot of the guests, I actually have them sing because we have sing. I'm not going to make you sing, Jim, but it might get weird. 
Uh, well, well that, that's, that's good because you'd hate to lose all of your <laughs> listeners in, 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 in We've just had one podcast. I can't believe that he asked this guy to say, now I've, I've unsubscribed to my I'm podcast. Out, podcast. All right, here's the game, Jim. So we do this at our ballpark. It's called Bananas Barnyard. So we have about four or five grown men come on the field and we yell out animal names and they have to act like that animal in front of 4,000 fans. Here's where it's going to come in together. I want you to either make a noise or act like the animal that you and Danbury represent the most. What is an animal that you kind of channel that you guys represent your company or yourself? That is why are we a dog? Dogs are loyal. Dogs love you all the time. So we, we would be the dog. That's my feel. And I, I am apologize for all the cat lovers out there. I probably just lost half my sales, but that's uh, the, I've done the, do. I've done the math. There's very few cat lovers compared to dog lovers <laughs> out there. I think you went to the right audience, which is there. All right. You would be a dog. I think that's great. Loyal, consistent, always there. I think that's outstanding. Yeah. Good thing you didn't have to get on all fours. This was much easier, Jim. I made it easier for you. Yeah, all right. See, I'm at my standing desk, so you, know, you can't. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little difficult for that. All right. You made the segue earlier about time, and I know you briefly mentioned it during MMT. You have a time tracking system, which is really interesting because we all struggle with time. What should we be doing more of? What should we be doing less of? Tell me about your time system. All right. So many years ago, probably 30 years ago, I wrote a book called Time Leadership. It's a book on time management. And all it really is is a compilation of a lot of other people's time things that I modified and made them into mine. So there's nothing genius about my time system, and I don't believe that what I do is exactly perfect for you. In reality, although I say it's time, it's not time. It's only about, it's much more about priorities. You have the same amount of time. It's a matter of what is the best use of your time right now, which and that question was actually asked by uh, one of the Alan Lakin, who's one of the inventors of time management. His question was, what's the best use of your time right now? So really, the system that I do is more about knowing what my goals are, knowing what my priorities are, and then making the time, spending the time on those priorities. So let's go into that. As a CEO of a big company, how many team members do you have, employees? Well, in North America, maybe 500 or so. Okay. So you have 500 people that you're essentially leading, and you're trying to get the company to continue to grow because it's inspirational. What is the best use of your time as a CEO or that you've seen that would be applicable to other CEOs? Well, the best way when you're in a medium-sized company like Danby is to get leverage by getting the team to do more things. Actually, what I say is uh, I don't actually do anything. Everybody else does everything. But my job is to grease the team and make the team do a better and better job. So that probably is my best use of time. But as a CEO, other good uses of my time, there are some big customers that I might have a good uh, impact on. There's obviously, uh, there are big issues all the time in a company that the CEO always has to deal with, you know, legal, uh, finance, uh, cash, blah, blah, blah. You're, so, you're in the big picture stuff, working the leadership. I mean, it sounds so simple, but there's lots of pieces to it. But, you know, you talk about your team a little bit. I love this quote. You said, I should live the same way my staff does. Jim, that's unbelievably inspirational because 99% probably of CEOs do not do that. Explain how you came to that and, and how do you do that? You know, I sort of came to it by accident because basically I uh, didn't have a lot of money and then I started my business. So I didn't have a lot of money. Everyone, even though everyone says, oh, you started your business, but I grew so fast. I consumed cash mm-hmm. because my business, the metrics was to do a million dollars in uh, sales needed an extra quarter of a million dollars in working capital. So the year I go from 68 million to 104 million, that's $40 million more sales. I need $10 million more working capital. I wasn't generating $10 million. So I was always cash strapped. 
So that created a, a frugality in me in my personal life that once I live like that long enough, I just sort of said, well, this is not a bad way to live. And it's not that I live in a bad, you know, in, in any bad. I mean, I have a car that runs. I've got a house that's, that's nice. You know, I mean, but I don't figure I need to have uh, four houses and I don't need to have a jet. And I, I love my Prius C. It's a, I think it's a 2012 uh, Prius C. So it's seven year old, but it's a nice, uh, Car. I call it a sports car because it's red, actually. See, it's, <laughs> my, it's, it's my sports car. I love it. Um, forever frugal, you've talked about. It's kind of a mindset. It's forever frugal. The other thing I've learned is it's actually somewhat inspirational to my staff because I don't think they're in, as inspired to say, oh, we're going to really dig in here so that Jim can buy another fast car or a, a yacht or whatever, right? It's amazing. I think, you know, I think back to us, you know, when I first started, I couldn't pay myself the first three months. And our first six months, my wife and I had to sell our house, empty out our savings account. And our staff still talks about that. They're like, wow, you guys would do that for us. And it was like, of course, well, there were no other options because there was no other money. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you share those stories, it's inspirational. I think when our goal is now, one, the more success that we have, that we still live that way. And then a company, I'm sure you've lived that way as well, that, hey, we're not just spending tons of money. We're going to keep this mindset. And it starts, is the founder and CEO living that same way? That's exactly right. Now, the other thing is, sometimes when people hear the word frugal, they think cheap. Yes. Frugal is not cheap. Cheap means you buy a pen that doesn't work or that works for uh, a day. No, it's getting the best value for the money. So I will sometimes spend more money on something that's durable, long lasting. I will sometimes spend uh, more money on something which is is better. Um, it really is what's the result you're going to get for the money you spend. Mm. And is there, you know, how much impact does it have in the overall scheme of things relative to the cost? So uh, your yellow tissue paper, if you were to buy it, you know, at 10 cents a sheet versus five cents a sheet, does it change the experience? It probably doesn't change the experience to pay five cents a sheet. I don't know my tissue paper well, but, <laughs> but you get the gist of it. And as when we're dealing with customers, part of the key is adding value. And it's what we're doing, adding enough value that customers see the value. Because I could wrap all my appliances in, uh, in silk, but do you, when you get it, think that's worth money for you? Is that worth something to you or is it not worth something to you? And that's where companies have to figure out, dude, like even your entertainment, you could hire the Rolling Stones to play at the start of every game. But does that add as much value or are you better off to do it the frugal way? Yes. And uh, I assume you, you hire someone for less than the Rolling Stones. Yes, I'll get you to play in the front. That'll be my next game. But <laughs> Exactly. Well, that would be, that'd be a real dare. <laughs> <laughs> how, how can you provide so much value that price becomes irrelevant? And so and you have to be strategic on what that value is adding. And so that's what we think about with our all-inclusive tickets. And I'm sure things with you, like, hey, this appliance will not break down. It's going to be a great appliance for you. And then they're going to add, obviously, the price doesn't matter as much, which I think is a great model. So I want to move to some more games, Jim. You ready? Yeah. All right, we're going to go into Shark Tank. All right. If you can invest in one company right now or an industry, what would it be and why? So I actually am taking that challenge because I'm investing in a company which I started called Shipperbee, and Shipperbee is a courier. Why would I invest in a courier business? Because courier, the partial shipping industry is growing at 20% per year. I love going into a growth business. And the other reason I am investing in Shipperbee is we save 73.1% of the greenhouse gas per parcel shipped. And so it can be my environmental legacy because I'm kind of an environmental guy, save the world. So that's why well, you can tell I'm excited. That's why I, I love I'm it. So that. you're jumping into a new industry, 
which is crowded. There's some top, you know, you're not going to be number one right away. But what makes you different is the environmental component. Uh, well, part of what makes us different is the environment component. But we're basically just reinventing the way parcels are shipped and we're doing it differently. We've got a number of other little differences that some customers appreciate, like continuous pickup. Uh, instead of having to wait till four o'clock when your FedEx driver comes and picks up, you know, it gets picked up uh, as you have the parcels ready. We save uh, trucks on the roads. We're tapping into a demographic shift, which is happening. It's very difficult to hire truck drivers, and we're um, tapping a different uh, labor market. I love it. So, um, so continuous pickup. I love this. So you said you were completely reinventing how it's done. Continuous pickup. And then you said, obviously, different things with the trucks. What else? We're tapping into a demographic. We're just doing it differently. It's more like an Uber-type model. So it's a gig economy. But at the same time, a lot of the savings are using what I call the power of while, which is a term I, a coin, uh, I coined when I wrote my time manager back 30 years ago, is what can, what's the power of while? What can you do while you're doing something else? Uh, so I can say, I am driving to Savannah. It says, great, we'll pick up 10 parcels at this uh, mobile station and drop them off at the Exxon station at the other exit. So it's the power of while, because I already had some space in my cards, it's easy to move them. So the other advantage, when you go into a market that's growing at 20% per year, yes, it's crowded, yes, there's competitors, but if I were to take 1% of that growth, then the competitors only grow by 19%. Like, it's not a zero-sum, it's not a zero-sum game, right? Like, you're... uh, it's a lot like what you do. You're just taking some entertainment dollars. Mm-hmm. And where am I going to spend my entertainment dollars? It's largely, well, I'll come to the baseball game or I'll, uh, I'll go to the movie. But, gee, the baseball game's more fun, more interesting, more whatever, talkable. 100%. Right? Remarkable, yes. So the power of while, I love this. So the power of while, concept like while you're driving, you can do this. While you're doing this, you can do this. Just what are those other things that you can do? It sounds like multitasking, which can be dangerous. What's the difference? Well, the difference is uh, multitasking is when you're trying to do two things that require the same attention at the same time. But a simple example would be I am talking to you on a podcast. I listen only to audiobooks and podcasts when I'm driving. Is that multitasking? I guess you could say it is, except no. I drive the car automatically. It's probably safer than talking to someone because it actually requires potentially less uh, um, focus. I do walking meetings with my staff. So I have a trail right near her, and we go and walk the trail. I've got a couple of different routes. That one of them takes 20 minutes. One of them takes 30 minutes. So it, the beauty of being outside, it's tough to be depressed when you're outside. It's very leveling. If I were to say to one of my uh, people, you know, come meet me in my office, that's kind of like, oh, scary. Meet with the CEO. Where the oh, CEO's going for a walk. Let's go for a walk. That's the power of uh, while. I love it. It's so great. We walk around the stadium. So we do walk around the warning track. Oh, you've got the best place to walk. So much well, inspiration. Enough. And it's so easy because it's not just this one-on-one. It's less intimidating. You're walking. You don't have to necessarily look, at, look in each other's eyes all the time. You can have a great conversation. My wife started doing this a few years ago, and it's amazing. So anyone who's listening, do walking meetings, Jim. I'm so glad that's a part of what you're doing. Totally. It's, it's what I do. I walk with everybody who works, reports to me once a week, and everyone who reports to them once every two weeks, and everyone who reports to them once a month. And for when I'm getting down in the organization, I walk with three people at a time because three people at a time is even less intimidating than, oh, this big mean CEO is going to be walking with me. Oh, it's, and, it's uh, so great. Keeps the conversation going. And again, also meetings, you said too, they don't have to be, if the 30 minutes can make them 20 minutes, they don't have to be as long. You can also just really make them shorter and more impactful. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I love, I love it. All right, let's go to some final games, some rapid fire here. Uh, flip the script. 
Jim, you are now the host of Business Done Differently, and you can ask me one question, because I've been grilling you for a bit. <laughs> the one question is, how can I sell more bar fridges? <laughs> how can you sell more bar fridges? All right, so that's a very, um, I'm not going to say uh, selfish. Self-serving? <laughs> 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 if, do you want me to really answer that as someone not knowing that industry at all? Absolutely. Because, see, you have a different perspective than I have, right? Mm -hmm. So with bar fridges, so again, the same things you're asking, who are you targeting? And what's, the question I ask everyone, what makes you different? So what makes this bar fridge different? And my question would be, how is it unique? How is it fun? And how do you make the experience different? So, for instance, I, there's a great, I forget the name of the cooler, but this cooler came out. And it was, uh, it had everything on it. It had the Bluetooth, but it made, it had oh, Bluetooth. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Uh, I yeah, yeah. The, the, when it came out, everyone was talking about it because it was so special. So what happens if you make just a great bar cool? What happens in that experience? So is it a video that shows it in a different way? You know, how can you use videos instead of just marketing, but make it like this is a unique one. And then when they get it, could there be drinks included? Could there be koozies included? What could be say like, wow, this bar cooler keeps giving. It's not just your typical bar cooler. And that's what we think about is the each touch point. How do you get them to talk more? So I would think about that. That's just off the cuff. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> you grill, that's good. Very self-serving, but very well done, Jim. I'm very uh, impressive. So I'll give you another one that's not self-serving. No, I was joking. It's what, what's most important, health or wealth? Health. Absolutely. That's wisdom your listeners need. It is health is more important, and that's your walking meetings, right? One hundred percent. If you can't have health, get a, little, get, a, get a little bit of yeah. Yeah. If you don't have health, you won't have wealth. You won't have family. Health comes first, and then what kind of shape you're in. And I, you know, I've seen that with my dad who battled cancer, and myself. And you know, when we're burnt out, we can't work. If we ever go through times like that, exhaustion. So that was great. All right, let's keep going. Question time. If you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. What are some other questions you're asking? Well, I like the how question, not the why question. So if I say, why aren't we selling this or why doesn't this work? People come up with reasons why this doesn't work. If I ask the how, then people come up with more creative comments and more creative um, suggestions. I love it. So you're asking your people, how can we do this? Not either why will this, why won't this work? Or give me an example. Okay, so, so there's a, a process called five whys. Five whys, you drill into what does someone do. So why do you enter an order? Well, you enter an order because that's how you get the product shipped. Well, why do you turn on your computer? Why do you, and then just drill in why, 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 why? But the problem is that can create a, a dig in. I'm going to dig in. Well, I, why can't? But then you say, how could you ship, do double the orders? How could you? And then that makes people open up. So in my previous business, I was shipping 10,000 parcels a day. And uh, I said, how can we, sh you know, how can we ship 15,000 units? And the guy said, oh, it's just impossible. We've turned the conveyors up as fast as they can go. You can't ship it. The only way we can ship 15,000 is we have to put in a second line. And the answer is, well, why is that rocket science? We'll put in a second line. And the answer is, well, we can't do that because there's a cement wall. Well, yes, yeah, so that's known technology. We cut through a cement wall. And then my previous business, you know, you're doing a billion in sales at the time or a couple billion in sales. The order of magnitude of the cost, the, the person who's telling me this thinks you can't do it because they're thinking, oh, I can't spend $50,000. But when you're doing two billion in sales, you can spend 50000 And that was an example of the, the how. And they just threw up their hands. We can't do it. The only way to do it is you have to have two lines. It's like, how can you uh, double your, uh, your ticket sales? You can't do it. You only have so many seats. Well, how, how can you do it? Oh, you'd have to add more seats. Well, 
Oh, well, add more seats. Like, just... <laughs> no, it's such a great point. I think how over the Y is so interesting. And also Southwest Airlines, the 10-minute turn. And oh, I yeah. Heard, I mean, they said, we're going to go out of business unless we get more planes in the air quicker. And how can we do it? We need to get in 10 minutes. And said, it's impossible. It's impossible. They kept asking, and they found a way to do it. Absolutely. And, and the CEO uh, was being interviewed, and, and the, the interviewer looks out in the tarmac and says, isn't this great? Look at all these Southwest planes on it. And the CEO says, that's awful. We don't make any money unless they're in the air. Yes. So it, it's a matter of, you know, thinking about it differently. Like, yeah, it's the same same as your stadium. Isn't it great that your stadium is, you're not making money unless there's people in your stadium. Yeah. It's. Uh, you're right. You're right on. All right. We'll finish up a few ones here. Tool time. What's the most important tool in your business toolbox? Well, you know, this is just one that most people don't use because they're all young, but dictation really works well. You can talk faster than you can email, and there's lots of free uh, dictation apps you can get. And sending someone a voice message is uh, more personal than sending you an email, which I can send you, but it's going to take me a little longer to send it. So that's my uh, tip that anyone can steal and use. I love it. Now that's what I call service. Jim, what's some of the best service that you've actually experienced recently? Well, the key with service is if you fix it fast, then people think you're great, even if you had a problem. So you don't have a problem if we fix it fast, but you do have a problem if we say, oh, well, hold on the phone for half an hour and then fill in a form and then you wait for three days and six days and 10 days. But uh, some of my best advocates are the ones that essentially we messed up on. We shipped the wrong product. We did something that didn't work. And then you say, wow, I can't believe it. They replaced the product. They, I don't, did, you know, got me another one in two days, even though you didn't get the product that you, that you wanted. So uh, any service win like that, you gain a customer and you gain a customer for life. I like, you know, the slogan by, uh, you know, Nike, just do it. I like, just fix it. Just fix right. it. And teach your people, just fix it. And as a business owner, it does it cost me any more to fix it instantly or to fix it in a week or two weeks or three weeks? Usually, it's the same cost. As a matter of fact, it can even be more because the person gets angrier and angrier and angrier and calls lawyer, blah, 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 whatever they do. You're best off. No, I'm going to pay the money. Just pay it and smile. I love it. Don't. I, uh, I love it. All right. Final four here. All right. What's one thing that you've done in business to stand out? Buy into being the luxury guy that many CEOs are. I live a normal life. So I think that's the uh, one thing that I do that does cause me to stand out, even though it makes me be more ordinary. So I don't know. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good. All right. If you were to give advice to someone younger and how they could stand out in business and be different, what would you suggest? I suggest give more than you take and give even though you don't know that you will get a return because I have found that it comes back to help me many times that the favors that I did in the past, they just come back a decade later and people don't even think uh, about it. I love it. It's like back, like provide value first, always provide value. Yeah. Exactly. Final two here. What's the, some of the best advice you've received? The best advice actually was the um, health trumps wealth. Uh, and so I, I juggled my priorities a little and changed it so that, you know, I, I'm pretty good on my health, right? I, I eat well, I'm, I don't eat meat and I'm, uh, you know, I uh, work out and it's the health trumps wealth. 
But remember that day, the second day, third day, we were the only two out there paddleboarding very early. And I was like, all right, you are going to do this together and out there paddleboarding. And I think we only made fell maybe once, which wasn't bad. Jim. We were pretty good. <laughs> no, no, no. You maybe fell, fell, fell once. I fell all the time. That was more like swimming for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was impressive. All right, final last question here. How do you want to be remembered? So once someone once said that you people never really die. And I'm not talking about eternal life. I'm talking you don't die. Your memories and how people act are impacted by your actions and who you are. So what I want to do is influence as many people as possible to be their greatest selves. I love it. I love it. Well, Jim, you did that today, my man. I really appreciate you joining the show, having some fun, acting like a dog at one point and talking about some great stories. And I appreciate what you've shared with the audience and share with me today. Well, thank you. Good talking to you, Jesse. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.